Morning, morning. All right, how's it going? I'm good, and you? Yeah, yeah good, thank you. It's uh, bright and early. It's all good. <laughs> you should realise this is how dedicated I am to this project, that I'm getting myself in a position to talk coherently at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. I know. I, I realise now that this is a mistake of mine. So, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I woke up at like I woke up at like six this morning to finish off writing while we're done. Oh jeez! Why did I sit? I said it was ten or eleven. What is wrong? <laughs> yeah, I I got up at seven thirty and that was painful enough. But Jesus, six o'clock—that's uh... yeah. I hadn't finished my stuff though, so I knew I had to do uh, it. Last minute doing your homework. Yeah, lastminute dot com. <laughs> <laughs> how's your weekend? Yeah, really good. Thank well, you. Well, how's how's your week? I suppose. Week, yeah, no, good. Um, it, honestly, <laughs> it's kind of all meshing into one at the moment, mushing into one. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, it was fine. Um, very nice and sunny. Went out for a few walks. Um, yeah, just a <laughs> week, really. We played pandemic, though, didn't we? We did. We did. We had our first defeat in pandemic, which was a, a sad moment. It was. It was bound to happen. We only won the last month. Literally, we had like what was it, a, a turn left? One more person's turn, the game would have ended. Yes, I think we ran out of cards or something, didn't we? We were about yeah. to. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were very close. We, we were by the skin of our teeth, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think it could have been much closer. And then we Definitely. we we utterly got the shit kicked out of us in the last round. <laughs> we very much did. It didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and truly screwed us. How many other regular games are you playing in the week? Because you seem to be a hard man to get hold of all of a sudden. <laughs> I know. I'm pretty much more sociable now than I was before the <laughs> pandemic started, which is a bit weird. Um, yeah, I play um, World War Z, which is a computer game, um, fighting zombies in a, in a pandemic and a plague, um, with a few mates on a like Tuesday night. I think it is we play, and then um, Jackbox games um, with other mates on sort of Friday nights and Saturday nights. So yeah, it's it's all um, it's all go. All go, yeah, and then obviously pandemic with you guys, and then I think something else as well. I can't remember now. Like I say, all blurs. It's kind of work and doing social stuff, and never leaving the house really. <laughs> One day it's just falling into the next. All of a sudden, how's the garden coming along? Yeah, good, good. We've I think we've basically finished that side of the garden now, but we've got the pond in, uh, full of water and running. We filled the area around it with gravel. Uh, bought some nice outdoor chairs to sit next to the pond. So I sat down next to the pond in the sun yesterday. Oh, lovely! And we fired up the barbecue for the first time this year. Oh, good times or the the bry as my south african wife insists on calling it bry yes yeah they're very they're very particular about their brying over there yeah she's outright banned me from buying a gas barbecue it has to be a charcoal barbecue oh wow and there's no like you don't do like little burgers and sausages or anything like that you do massive hunks of meat (laughs) that's the south african African way way, yeah (laughs) (laughs) yesterday we had a, a piece of meat that was bigger than my head <laughs> like steak and you just slap it down on the board, slice it up, and dip it in a bit of salt, and that's that's how you consume that. Oh wow! And then um, they have this beef sp- kind of spiced sausage called borivors, mm-hmm. um, which you then have in a roll of bori roll. It's kind of like a Cumberland sausage, and it's it's big and fat and like round up in a spiral. Right. Okay. And then you, yeah, you just slap that down and cut slices off it, put it in a roll, which nice. Harley then has with this. With the closest thing she could come with up to, like South African mustard, which is like glow in the dark yellow and actually a bit sweet. It's horrible. <laughs> no, it doesn't surprise me based on my experience of South African drinks that it no. would glow in the dark mustard. No, exactly. Yeah, you, you spill it on your on any kind of clothing, you might as well just throw the clothing away because you're not getting it out. <laughs> Whatever chemicals that is involved in, it's that they don't they don't clean out very easily. It <laughs> just burns a hole through your clothes yeah, instead. Pretty much, yeah. God oh knows what God. it's doing to your insides. <laughs> 
Yes, we uh, we we inflicted cream soda upon Chris yeah. on a trip to London a, a little while ago. It was it was an experience, I have to say. <laughs> I've ne- I, cream soda, in my experience, has always been I don't know, maybe maybe clear or sort of cloudy, yeah. and tastes like well, what does cream soda taste like? I mean, it tastes like water and and sugar mixed together, basically, doesn't it? And yeah. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. I, I mean, hard. I used to have it when I was younger, but I haven't done it for years now. But uh, this cream soda was was kind of different. Yeah, you can't describe the taste of the South African cream soda, which is bright green. <laughs> yes, but that was what got me more than anything. It was the bright green. Well, I suppose it, did, it was incredibly sweet, but it was also just luminous green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 something else. I got Holly to try uh, English cream soda when she first moved over, and she was saying how she missed cream soda. So I was like, oh, that's a bit of a weird thing to miss. Okay, fine. So. <laughs> Found us some English cream soda, and she did not enjoy that at all. <laughs> no, I can understand why if you've been brought up on, on South African cream soda. Yeah, it's a very different oh, kind of beast. <laughs> very much so. I'm surprised, I'm surprised you know, your stomach doesn't melt under the load. Oh, the God, end. yeah. They they have this drink over there uh, called cane, which is basically like you take sugar cane and make mm. alcohol from it, much like you make with rum. But mm-hmm. you use the crappy part of the sugar cane, the, the, the stuff that's kind of like left over after you've made the good stuff, and it, oh it is God. it is horrific. It's absolutely horrible. Is it alcoholic? Yeah, yeah, it's very alcoholic. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> they, they have cane and cream soda, which is like what the teenagers drink over there, and I think oh. it's because cream soda is so strong; it's the only thing that takes the edge off of the taste of the cane. <laughs> South African buckfast. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> that's what the kids drink. Because <laughs> yeah, it is also incredibly cheap. Oh yeah, I was going to say it must be if the kids are drinking. It must yeah, be cheap, right? yeah, it's terrible. We bought a bottle of that as well. I think um, the, the fancy one's called Mainstay. I think something like that. A fancy one. Yeah, fancy and in inverted commas. <laughs> just... What sort of percentage alcohol is it? Oh, high. It's really high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't, I can't, it's, probably, it's probably like 40-50% kind of level it's, it's terrible Ooh. it's just like paint yeah, thinner yeah. basically <laughs> <laughs> paint thinner and, and luminous green uh, cream soda with it oh yeah. what a combination drunk by a bunch of teenagers at a disco you can just imagine how that goes <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to end well for anyone is it <laughs> no definitely not <laughs> didn't, didn't Holly also say that there was like um it was like luminous t- versions of Tango as well. Oh yes, yeah. So fan- they're Fanta Orange. Oh, Fanta. Um, yeah, it's like you s- yeah, it's it looks like Tango Orange used to look like back in the day, but it's <laughs> sweeter. Um, it doesn't taste anything like orange. She complains that our Fanta Orange tastes like actual orange, and that's not what she's, what she's looking for. It's not what she signed up to. No, South African Fanta Orange is definitely named after the colour rather than the flavour. Oh, it's yeah, terrible. Full on for the E numbers, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they really do. Oh yes. <laughs> so is the garden all done now? Um, no. <laughs> uh, we're going to make some like raised beds and planters and stuff, but we've, we're waiting for stuff to come for that, so we can't we can't do that. Um, that then leaves the other half of the garden. Well, the other two thirds of the garden, really. You've been doing any more work on your garden, or are you signed off from gardening for the rest of your life? Oh, now? signed off for gardening for the rest of my life. Um, I've got grass now, and I'm very happy with it. I can just I can I, I spent last weekend like 30 minutes mowing, and it was done. It was beautiful. But yes, it's much much better compared to what it was. Oh my god, it was like a jungle. Well, yeah, so I remember. Yes. I remember almost every every time I'd ask you what you were doing at the weekend last year, it was gardening, 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 oh, yeah. gardening. Then you swearing well, about the fact that you were gardening. Yeah, I say gardening. It was more kind of ripping everything out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Check us out talking about gardens. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I think that means we're old and boring now. I think it probably does, unfortunately. Yeah. Should we move on to uh, actual interesting things? Yes, let's do that. That's a much better idea. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go first or shall I? I'll let you go first this week. Okay, all right. This week on the internet, I learned about a couple of famous American bank robbers. Well, actually, there were three in total, but we'll get to that in a second. Excellent. I actually ended up at this idea and via a rather convoluted route as I was originally going to talk about the Silk Road and the fact that the Chinese were trying to recreate it or they are currently trying to recreate it this led me down the path um, and I discovered the illicit Silk Road black market that existed on the dark web until 2013 when, an FB- when the FBI shut down and arrested the guy who ran it the dark web Silk Road led me in turn onto thinking about more famous criminals um, which of course logically sent me down to researching famous American bank robbers obviously obviously <laughs> <laughs> as any, any good black hole does. The public have always had a fascination with bank robbers, especially the ones that can get away with large amounts of money and, crucially, not get caught by the authorities, at least for a while anyway. But now, with the use of physical cash declining, in fact, the BBC reported in 2019 that it's likely cash will be only used in 10 to 15% of transactions in the UK in a, within 15 years. Wow. Yeah. The opportunity for publicity uh, generating heists is obviously dropping all the time. I, be- I barely carry any physical money around with me anymore. Yes. I do most everything with... Um with cards, well, even even with my phone now, rather than my actual credit cards. Well, exactly, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the the credit card companies want to make, or Mastercard and Visa want to make it ever easier to use credit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you can use your phone, exactly. Yeah, I've, a few times when I've actually forgot my wallet. Would you believe? I've fortunately always had my phone on me, so just yeah. whip out my phone well, and I've, pay that way. I, I've done that before. I've had the trips where I've gone down to London for work, and I've legitimately left my wallet behind and thought, "Oh crap, what the hell am I going to do?" But then not not used it at all. I could pay for parking on my phone with an app. I pay for food with apps, or like. Apple Pay or whatever, and I never, never even need it. Mad, isn't it? Well, it's obviously, technology is advancing all the time, which is fantastic. But yes, it does mean obviously the uh, we'll have to de- delve into the past for uh, our American our bank robbers. Our American, exactly, our American bank robbers. Excellent. <laughs> First up, we've got Robert Leroy Parker, and he's better known by his alias of Butch Cassidy. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah, I'm going to call him by his real name um, and his alias throughout this piece, uh, depending on what makes sense at the time. So do bear with me. Parker was born on the 13th of April, 1866, in a place is called Beaver, Utah, and he was the eldest of 13 children. Jeez Louise. Yeah, yeah. just one or two of them, eh? Probably a Catholic family. <laughs> Actually, they were Mormons. Ah, oh, even worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, and they were Mormons, and his parents had moved to, the late, moved to the US in the late 1850s as children, so they'd come with, obviously, with their parents, um, to help establish their new Mormon communities in the state. At the age of 13, the story has it that Cassie needed some new overalls uh, for working on a ranch, because he, he sort of didn't just work on the family's ranch, obviously he had to make money for the family, so he was out um, working other ranches. So he rode, took a long ride into town to buy a pair. Unfortunately for him, when he arrived after his long journey, uh, the store, the general store was closed. Being the enterprise sort of young man that he was, he let himself in and took a pair anyway. <laughs> but he left a note saying um, he'd return the next time, the next time he comes back into town, he'd return with the money and pay for the overalls. Which, of course, wasn't actually good enough for the store's owner. Funny that. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> Something I didn't trust him, really. Uh, the owner obviously had him arrested, um, and although Cassidy was let off with a warning, it did leave him very resentful towards authority. Later on, during the, 1880, during the 1880s, during the early 1880s, sorry, Parker was working at different ranches, um, essentially from 14 years old, um, and he met a man by the name of Mike Cassidy. Cassidy was a cowhand, a small-time cow rustler, and a horse thief. You could say not the best kind of role model for an impressionable teenager to be working with, but 
but it was late 19th century, so things were a little different back then. Cassidy taught Parker how to train horses and shoot a gun. Both necessary skills if you're going to be working as a ranch hand. All the dates and years around Parker's early life are, are pretty much pretty sketchy, really. But sometime later, Mike Cassidy fled the area after getting uh, in trouble with the law, probably for cattle rustling or horse theft. But no one knows exactly for sure. What for sure for what? It's a great early education this boy had. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Could have had his Mormon life, but no, no, decided to leave home and uh, go get an education with a hardened criminal. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. 1884 rolls around and Parker turns 18. At this point, he leaves Utah looking for new opportunities in the booming mining town of Telluride in Colorado, followed by stints in Wyoming and Montana. It's five years later at the age of 23 when Parker pulls up um, off his first bank robbery on the 21st of June, 1889. He and several of his buddies rob the San Miguel Valley Bank in Telluride and get away with $21,000. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, which is the equivalent of over $589,000 today. Jeez Louise, that's that's a pretty good first heist. Yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Absolutely. Not long after this point, he adopted the name, uh, the last name Cassidy and moved to Rock Springs in Wyoming. I'll start calling him Cassidy from this point on um, so we don't get confused who we're talking about. Also in Rock Springs, it's also in Rock Springs, sorry, that he allegedly worked for a butcher, which is how he became known as Butch. So obviously shortening, he was called Butcher Cassidy and they, I guess it got shortened to Butch Cassidy. But all of this information is a bit flaky. So, I mean, it's, it's said to what's happened, but, you know, who knows really. Pinch of salt required. Yes, absolutely. Maybe the money from the San Miguel, San Miguel Valley bank robbery uh, lasted a long time or more likely fell back on other horse rustling activities because in 1894 some six years later Cassidy was convicted of horse theft and potentially running a protection racket among the local ranchers in Lander Wyoming for this Cassidy was jailed for two years in the Wyoming state prison but let out after 18 months for good behavior after Cassidy was released from prison in 1896 he met up with an old with his old horse rustling buddies and they formed themselves into the Doolin Dalton gang Prop- <laughs> what a great name <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> They're probably better known as the Wild Bunch, um, and I have no idea why they called themselves the Doolin Dalton Gang because none of their na- none of their members were called Doolin or Dalton. <laughs> so I don't know where they got that from. Maybe they're just a real big fan of alliteration. <laughs> Maybe yes. And the letter D. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> The gang turned their hand to robbing banks and trains and they developed a pattern for committing these crimes that involved doing reconnaissance on the place they planned to rob as well as stashing supplies and extra horses along the route um, their intended getaway route. The gang went on to rob a number of different banks including in August 1896 they stole approximately $7,000. In April 1897 they managed to ambush the men carrying the Pleasant Valley Coal Company's payroll and they got away with another $7,000 in gold. In June 1899 the gang robbed the Union Pacific Overland Flyer passenger train near Wilcox in Wyoming which earned them their notoriety and a massive manhunt. Unfortunately for the authorities, the lawmen couldn't find Cassidy and the gang until they, uh, because they split up and they fled in different directions uh, before meeting up at a predetermined place later. We, we come to the Sundance Kid at this point, and obviously the award-winning Academy Award-winning sorry 1969 film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is what made the pair of them famous. But actually, they weren't best friends as, as portrayed in that film. The Sundance Kid was Harry Alonzo Long, uh, um's alias, and Longabout earned his nickname. Um, and an 18-month prison term after stealing a horse near Sundance in Wyoming in 1887. It seems Longabout became associated with the Wild Bunch during the mid-1890s when he was pitching a tent near their hideout. By the early uh, 1900s, the heat was getting too much for Casti and the Sundance Kid, so they fell over the border and into Argentina. Now, I'm going to butch this name, but in <laughs> Cholilla, Cholilla? 
They ran a ranching operation until about 1904, sorry, when they believed that the Pinkertons had discovered where they were hiding out and they were Im- imminently coming to arrest them. At this point, they sold up and found work at the Concordia Tin Mines in Bolivia. As you can imagine, these hardened criminals were still committing robberies, as well as other outlaws in the United States in their South America at this time. They probably had other people's work blamed on them because they were so famous. Yeah. The details of which Cassie and the Sundance Kiss kids' deaths are like their lives, suitably sketchy. Some accounts of the time have the men robbing the payroll of the Aramayo mine in southern Bolivia on the 4th of November 1908. Three days later, the villagers where they were holed up apparently got very suspicious of them and called the Bolivian army to capture them. Bloody hell, that's not yeah. messing around. <laughs> no, no. Don't call the police, get the army yeah. involved. <laughs> just go up the ladder, it's fine. Just bring the army in, there's no point messing around with the police. <laughs> that's, that's right. They're, not, they're, they're really uh, corrupt anyway, they won't do anything. Yeah. It was apparently during this shoot- shootout with the army that one of the men turned um, his gun on the other and shot himself and then shot himself afterwards, sorry. If this was true, it would be a suitably epic end to end their li- a way to end their lives. Of course, um, it's really just conjecture, as other reports have the men returning to the United States and living out their lives under assumed aliases. In reality, no one knows how Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid died or when. Another thing we can't be sure of is how much money they stole during their criminal careers. I've done some quick maths based on what their gang stole, and it comes to around $35,000, or in today's money, just over $980,000. Now, that, that really is very... Very sketchy because I took it from from the from the sums that they that the Wikipedia claims they stole, and that was from the major heists. So obviously there were many other things that they did, and there were multiple gang members throughout the life of their gang. Yeah. So it wasn't just a pair of them. So obviously, even if it wasn't um, thirty five thousand dollars at that time, it was a lot of money. But uh, it wasn't just their money, and, and obviously you can imagine they spent it. They lost some of it. God knows what happened to you know probably bribing people, all sorts of ways that they could spend it. Well, yeah, and if if they were working in mines when they went over over to Argentina they obviously weren't like rolling in money if they needed actually to work to, to get money in or whatever Then yeah exactly and obviously they were being chased by the Pinkertons and various yeah, other law yeah. enforcement uh, agencies so yeah they they, um, they they really didn't have a good time I suspect but yes as I say nobody really knows how they died and, 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 and it's well, some people believe they died in the shootout with the Bolivian army. Others believe they escaped back over the border. So nobody really knows. Maybe they yeah. did live out their lives peacefully. Who knows? It's more of a romantic story, isn't it, that they went out in a, yes. in a blaze of glory. Yes. And, and then in one last FU to the authorities. Exactly. Actually, um, sometime later, the, their bodies, well, what were assumed to be their bodies were exhumed and they were tested. Uh, but it turned out there were just two other people that obviously weren't, weren't the Butch Cassidy and Zanart's kid. But then, you know, who were they? It was not necessarily those bodies were the ones that got killed in the shootout. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all very, all very sketchy. And if, if you're being pursued by multiple countries, law enforcement agencies, the thing to do is to pretend that you've been killed so you can go off and lay yeah. low for the rest of your life, isn't it? So. Exactly. Go and have a nice, comfortable life somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Cool. And now we move on to Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow, yeah. better known as the famous criminal duo Bonnie and Clyde. Yes, indeed. Bonnie was born on the 1st of October 1910 near Rowena, Texas. Uh, while Clyde was born on the 24th of March 1909 in Toledo in the same great state. Bonnie's life was actually quite comfortable until her father died unexpectedly in 1914 and when she turned 16 she left school and got married to a guy called Roy Thornton. Although the marriage wasn't a happy one unfortunately and Roy was charged with robbery and sentenced to five years in prison in 1929. They never actually divorced though so she uh, remained married to the the day she died. Uh, Whilst Roy was in prison Bonnie worked as a waitress but became unemployed during the Great Depression as it got underway at the end of 1929. Clyde means Meanwhile, was the sixth of eight children, and they lived in poverty as his parents were tenant farmers and couldn't make reg- couldn't regularly make enough money to feed the family. At the age of twelve, Clyde's parents gave up tenant farming and moved to West Dallas, where his father opened a gas station. West Dallas at this time was a rough neighbourhood, and Clyde apparently fit right in. As you can imagine, I suspect. Yeah. 
<laughs> I had a very rough life. Uh, the pair met at a mutual friend's house in January 1930, and the attraction apparently was immediate. Unfortunately, though, Clyde was arrested a few short weeks later for car theft, which interrupted their budding romance. This didn't deter the pair, though. He escaped from prison a few weeks later after using a gun that Bonnie had smuggled in during a prison visit. Nice. <laughs> yeah, pretty classy pair, I tell yeah. you. Yeah. Right from the beginning. I mean, obviously, I, I'd imagine that she was probably very influenced by him. I mean, I, it doesn't say, but I, yeah, just imagine. If she was a relatively good person up to that point, yeah. It's yeah. probable that he had a lot of influence. And led astray. Yeah, totally. Now, Clyde wasn't very good um, hiding out, however, as he was pretty quickly recaptured after this breakout and sent back to prison to serve for his sentence. This is unfortunately, well, if it wasn't dark enough already, this is where it gets uh, starts, starts to get darker. While serving his sentence, Clyde was repeatedly sexually assaulted by another inmate, um, so in, so in order to fix this problem, he decided to attack the prisoner with a lead pipe, um, crushing his skull and killing him. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I don't know exactly how, but another prisoner already serving a life sentence decided to take responsibility for the killing, which meant Clyde got away with it. I don't know what he was promised, or it doesn't yeah. say, but yeah, somehow he managed to uh, to to put this onto another guy, or the guy willingly took it by the sounds of things, and uh, yeah, re- got added to his prison sentence. Which obviously, being America, he was already gonna, never going to get out yeah. alive anyway. Yeah. Uh, Clyde really didn't want to be serving his sentence though, because obviously this particular prison um, it was hard labour, so he wanted to transfer to an easier prison. So at some point, I after killing this other prisoner he um, asked a fellow inmate to cut two of his toes off with an axe oh jeez yeah yeah, like I said, it gets darker. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know um, how they decided which two toes to go for or just getting two toes. I mean, you know, if you're swinging with an axe, it's... Ugh, yeah, you've got to have some faith in the uh, accuracy yeah. of the axe wielder, haven't you? Absolutely. And I don't know which two toes he got off. But anyway, oh. two toes came off. Luckily or unlucky, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but yeah, managed to, managed to pull off this little plan. Obviously, that resulted in Clive walking with a limp for the rest of his life. So it's probably his big toe, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, but yeah, resulted in walking for limp. Now, ironically for Clyde, although she hadn't told him, his mother had been petitioning for his release from the authorities. And just six days later, after he, you know, cut his had his toes cut off, he was released from jail on probation. Oh, geez. yeah, yeah. That's, How awful! That's unfortunate. Yeah, pretty goddamn awful, eh? If he just waited a little bit longer, he wouldn't have had that problem. Oh, I know a really terrible joke that goes along those kind of lines, but I'll save it for another day. Fair enough. <laughs> this whole experience must have changed him um, because a fellow prisoner um, of Clyde said after his release, quote, he changed from a schoolboy into a rattlesnake. So, yes, it must okay. have been a particularly horrific experience. Well, it doesn't, I mean, it yeah. doesn't sound like a very pleasant couple of uh, months or years or whatever, does it? No, no, absolutely not. No, and obviously culminating with his toes being cut off. Yeah. Now, bear in mind that Clyde was released from prison during the Great Depression, so work was very hard to come by. Uh, he also had little experience in holding down a job, bearing in mind his background. He had his toes to heal as well. So he um, he pretty much returned to his usual lifestyle of criminal um, after a few months after his toes had actually um, healed, the stubs had healed, I suppose. We fast forward a couple of years later to the 19th of April, 1932, and Bonnie joined Clyde and his Barrow gang of, um, of mates on a robbery of a hardware store. Apparently, Bonnie stayed in the car, but she was captured by the authorities and sent to jail. They didn't have enough evidence on her, um, so they basically released her a few weeks later after the grand jury failed to indict her. Bonnie being in jail didn't stop Clyde from continuing his robbing spree, though. While she was incarcerated, Clyde was the getaway driver for 
store robbery during which the owner was killed. Despite staying in the car, the store's owner's store owner's wife identified Barrow from the police photographs as one of the killers. Obviously, I guess it must have been late at night. Um, yeah, they're probably were wearing masks. It would obviously be a very yeah. confused situation. And he was he was the getaway driver, so he was involved. Um, and I'm sure under American law that that would have you as part of you know ba- implicated in killing in the killing anyway. Yeah, so, it's, but it's no. not much of a defence, is it really? No, not really. But anyway, she identified him as being the killer. Um, so obviously he had to go into hiding. A few months later, whilst Clyde and one of his mates was at the county fair in Stringtown, Oklahoma, a sheriff and the deputy um, approached the, the pair of them, obviously while they were drinking alcohol in the uh, parking lot. This resulted in a shootout and the sheriff was killed and the deputy was gravely injured. They re- he really Ooh. is um, upping his re- ante now. He's racking them up, isn't he? Oh, yes. <laughs> it's a long and bloody course of a career, I tell you. Uh, Bonnie, um, now obviously... This point needs to make a decision does she stay with Clyde and become a wanted criminal or does she leave him and start afresh now I think we all know how history had panned out here yeah. obviously she decided to stay with her man and over the next two years they performed a series of robberies across Texas Oklahoma Missouri Louisiana and New Mexico they always stayed close to the state borders because at the time in the United States police couldn't cross the borders in the pursuit, in the pursuit of criminals if they if they did a, a robbery in say Louisiana then they could cross the state border and the police weren't allowed to follow them hmm. Clyde apparently had uncanny knowledge of the back roads around the states and he frequently studied maps to ensure that their getaways were successful in addition to this the pair were constantly stealing cars and replacing number plates to avoid detection. A year into being on the run, into being on the run and during March 1933, Clyde's brother Buck was released from prison. Release, pr- released? Was released from prison. <laughs> Easy for me to say. <laughs> By this point, the pair were wanted for murder, bank robbery, auto theft and robbing dozens of grocery stores and gas stations. Yeah, really quite charming. But because Clyde uh, wanted to see his brother, they rented an apartment in, in a place called Joplin, Missouri. Um, they even managed to have a couple of weeks of playing cards and catching up and drinking until inevitably the police caught up with them. In the resulting shootout, uh, one policeman was killed and another was seriously injured. Although the gang got away, the police searched their apartment and found a treasure trove of items, including the now famous photos of the pair posing with guns. This obviously helped fuel their notoriety in the press and made it much more difficult to them, for them to move around undetected. The gang evaded the authorities until June 1933, when Clyde really, uh, realised too late uh, that the bridge they were approaching near Wellington in Texas was closed for repairs. He ended up flipping the car down a ravine, and whilst Clyde and Buck got out of the car alive, Bonnie's leg was badly burned. Now, there's confusion around what, what, how this occurred but it was either through battery acid breaking up out of the, out of the floorboards of the car yeah. or um, or, a, or gasoline fire I probably suspect it was more battery acid because if there was a gasoline fire I mean it would have been well, a lot worse than that yeah everybody would have probably been hurt yeah I can I can I can see those the cars of that era not being built incredibly well yes so I can absolutely see like battery acid exploding all over the car or something yeah, and if she was in the back, maybe, and that's where the battery was. Yeah, it's all, all conjecture, obviously. But yes, yeah, so, so, but it was a bad crash, apparently. It was obviously flipped the car, and uh, they were lucky to get out alive, really. Yeah. But she, yeah, her leg was so badly burned that she never walked properly again. So he's got a limp, and she's she's obviously got an extremely um, damaged leg from some kind of burn. And they've got every police agency in the in the area yep. going after them. Exactly. And obviously, because even with these with these um, serious burns on her leg, um, they couldn't stop for proper medical care, so they continued on the run. Yeah. Obviously, Obviously, things aren't going well for the gang, um, and a month later, they checked into two cabins at a place called the Red Crown Tavern near Platt City, Missouri. Because of their actions, I mean, they, they were acting quite suspiciously. Apparently, they were paying in coins, which is unusual, and not not, do, not dollar bills. They um, put newspapers up over their windows in these cabins, and they apparently, according to the owner, they parked in the style of a gangster, which I assume means backing into the garage. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've, oft- I've often seen people parking and thought, yeah, there's a gangster pot that car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but because of all these actions, the, the owner became very suspicious of them and ended up calling the police. On the 19th of July, 1933, the police surrounded both cabins and somewhat brazenly, I would argue, knocked on the door. Well... <laughs> I mean, I, if I was the police, I don't think I would have done that. But anyway. No. In the resulting shootout, Clyde's brother Buck uh, was shot in the head, uh, which exposed a large hole in his forehead and his injured brain. Oh. Yeah. Blanche, um, who is Buck's wife, was nearly blinded by glass fragments from the Gahar windows being shot out as they all managed to get away. So the whole gang got away from the shootout wow. with the police. But yeah, they obviously, I mean, there's some serious injuries amongst the group now. Bonnie's got a burned leg. Uh, Blanche has now got almost blinded by glass, obviously glass fragments across her face. Yeah. And uh, and Buck, his, his hus- her husband, sorry, has obviously got um, a large hole in his forehead. Which is, yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, not good for any of them. How the hell are point. they still alive? I know. They, they, well, lucky, unlucky, I don't know, really. Ah. Uh, Clyde drove the gang throughout the night, only stopping to replace the blown-out tyres, because they, they obviously got blown out as well in the resulting barrage of the lead, yeah, um, yeah. and applied bandages to the injured. When the gang stopped at Drexfield, Dexfield Park Recreation Area, they thought they were safe, but little did they know the um, local farmer who had found the bloody bandages on the ground tipped off the police. Shortly afterwards, uh, 100 policemen, National Guardsmen, vigilantes and local farmers surrounded the gang <laughs> but as they were approaching Bonnie saw them, that saw them and screamed I bet she did yeah but yeah quite the, and the, the resulting shootout didn't end well for the gang unfortunately uh, with Buck and Blanche being captured and because he couldn't move at this point obviously with his head wound yeah. and uh, in fact Buck died a few days later but uh, Blanche was, was captured Bonnie, Clyde and the other gang member W.D. Jones managed to swim across a river to get away where they stole a car on the other side and uh, made their escape so yeah so even with all this lead flying they still managed to get away again by this point Clyde had been shot four times Bonnie had been hit by numerous buckshot pellets Jones had been shot in the head and he decided to leave the pair and uh, never return to them I think he got arrested later on to be honest with you don't think I blame him for my (laughs) that would have bailed a long time ago (laughs) they really are very notorious by this point yeah (laughs) and very injured Bonnie and Clyde uh, took some time to recover from their injuries, as you can imagine they had to. Yeah. Obviously, with uh, with four gunshot wounds to, to Clyde and uh, numerous buckshot pellets to uh, Bonnie, they really had to um, take some time. But uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, they were back out robbing again as soon as they were better. <laughs> Got to get the money somehow. Yeah. In order to uh, avoid rec- uh, being recognised, the pair slept in the car at night and drove during the day, obviously still stealing multiple cars to do this. In November 1933, Jones, um, who had left the pair in July, was captured by the police. Their authorities learned from Jones that both Bonnie and Clyde liked to visit their families on a regular basis, and armed with this knowledge, they set another ambush for. In yet another shootout, the police failed to capture Bonnie and Clyde, oh but they did manage to injure both of them in their leg. Essentially, police had set up a, a sort of, I guess, an ambush near their near the near the um, Clyde's family's house yeah. when Clyde was driving past he I don't know he had six cents or what but he, he became suspicious of the situation so he sort of quickly drove on past but as he did the, obviously police started shooting which is how they got injured again how many shootouts can these people go into a walk out of well indeed <laughs> it doesn't seem to be it seems to be never ending doesn't it yeah Clyde was actually enraged that the police had set up this ambush by his family's home but he was convinced by his mother not to retaliate directly so instead he decided to plan a breakout at Eastern Prison Farm and in January 1940 
1934, they helped free Clyde's old friend, Raymond Hamilton. During the prison break, a guard was killed and a number of other prisoners jumped in the getaway car with them. Amongst these prisoners was a guy called Henry Methin, um, who ended up staying with Bonnie and Clyde, even after all the other prisoners went their separate ways. In fact, although Hamilton was Clyde's old friend, apparently they had some kind of bust-up, so that's why he left as well. Oh dear. I can imagine, you know, <laughs> considering they know how, how, how wanted Bonnie and Clyde are, I don't think I'd want to stay with them either. No, I was going to say, I, I, would, I would get the hell out of there as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Bonnie and Clyde continued their brutal crime spree, even killing two motorcycle cops on Easter Sunday in April 1934. There's a kind of conjecture around what happened here. Apparently, Clyde might have been asleep in the back seat, and Methin thought that he wanted the um, both cops killed. But uh, and started shooting when they got pulled over. But it's it's very sort of un- unclear what happened. But anyway, the resulting thing was that two more motorcycle cops were killed. Good lord. Yeah. Realizing how tied to the family um, Bonnie and Clyde were, the police guessed that Bonnie and Clyde and Henry were on the way to mis- visit Iverson Methon, Henry Metheson's father, in May 1934. When the police learned that Henry Methon um, had become separated from Bonnie and Clyde on the evening of the 19th of May, they realized that it was their chance to set up an am- another ambush. Another ambush, yeah, because last ones have worked so well. <laughs> Surely one's got to work soon. Yeah. Uh, police assumed that they would search for Henry at his father's farm, so planned an ambush along the road to, to the house where the outlaws were expected to take. He obviously would drive down. Six lawmen planned the ambush and confiscated Methin's truck and removed one of his tyres, placing along the Highway 154 between Salis and Gibsland in Louisiana. If Clyde saw Iverson's vehicle on the roadside, they figured he would slow down and then investigate. At 9.15 in the morning on the 23rd of May 1934, uh, so a few days later basically, Clyde did indeed spot Iverson's truck. He slowed down and the officers immediately opened fire. Bonnie and Clyde had very little time to react and the police shot more than 130 bullets at the couple's car. God. Obviously killing them quickly. Yeah. When the shootout ended, the police found that Bonnie had sustained 26 wounds and Clyde 17. The back of Clyde's head had exploded and part of Bonnie's right hand had been shot off. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it's <laughs> 130 bullets, 26 wounds on her and 17 on him. I mean, they were dead very, very yeah, quickly. Yeah, they weren't fucking around, were they? But I guess no, with that list no. of dead police officers, they, they weren't going to shout a warning first. No, indeed. Um, it, obviously, it was a real mess. And, and, but obviously, like you say, not so surprising after after the brutal multi-year crime spree um, and, and the killing of many police officers. Their bodies were taken to Dallas and put on view, which is kind of macabre, but, but they're obviously very notorious and famous at this point, yeah. and crowds gathered to get a glimpse of the famous pair. Although Bonnie had requested that they be buried together, they were actually buried in separate cemeteries according to their family's wishes. They became obviously the stuff of legends, and Bonnie and Clyde, like you said, um, they did kill a number of police officers, actually nine police officers and four civilians over their criminal rampage um, over the number of years. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, or I don't know. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, specifically, they never really stole that much money during their bank robberies. Not like um, old uh, Cassidy. And so, as time went on, they became more and more desperate, often sleeping in their most recently stolen car. And like I said before, driving through the day. So yes, Butch, da- Butch Cast. No, not Butch. <laughs> so-, <laughs> so yes. Bonnie and Clyde. Very awful experience for the pair of them, and they obviously ended probably the way that they was always going to. I mean, they, yeah, a hail of gunfire. Yeah, and like you say, not necessarily very successful robbers either if they no. didn't actually end up stealing a lot of money. No, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and completely on the run the whole time, and obviously, I mean, their stress levels must have been through the roof, so yeah, yeah awful, awful life, I think. Wow. 
that's that's really cool yeah they're, they're, they're the different ones i'm going to talk about today but obviously there are so many more um criminal famous criminals american and otherwise so maybe i'll return to this subject in the future yeah yeah and i can i can really recommend um a film that was made i think i think for netflix it's definitely on netflix called the highwayman oh which um is basically the story from the police point of view of the final kind of like ambush and pursuit of of them oh really oh that's interesting um, yes so of those six officers two of them were um texas rangers uh-huh. and it's the story of those two texas rangers and their their hunt of the pair oh right it's really good it's really good it's got kevin, yeah. kevin costner and uh, woody harrelson in it I, I, oh nice <laughs> I, I highly recommend it I, yeah I did read one of the um, Texas Rangers came out of retirement. I think yes, yeah, that's the guy played by Kevin Costner. Yeah, he he right. Okay, I think he was. Um, I think he was a politician. I think he's kind of he'd been a Texas Ranger then retired into politics or something. And yeah, sure. He was he was notorious for hunting people down, and these were obviously the the most notorious criminals that were needed needed hunting down at the time. So they uh, sure they, they brought him in. Yeah, fair enough. I should watch that. The Highway Highwayman. The Highwayman. Yes. Yes. Okay, I should check that out. Excellent. Cool. Thank, thank you very much. much. No worries. Right, it's my turn then, I suppose. Oh, yes. Okay. In 2007, John Cleese embarked upon a one-man comedy tour of New Zealand, <laughs> the, re- the reviews of which were not entirely positive, shall we say. Okay. <laughs> After the tour, during an interview, he was asked which of the stops was his least favourite. He answered with some passion that his time in Palmerston North was, again, let's say, not great. <laughs> to, to quote the great man, we had a thoroughly bloody miserable time there and we were so happy to get out. If you ever want to kill yourself but lack the courage, I think a visit to Palmerston North will do the trick. <laughs> He really didn't like that place, though. He really didn't, no. Wow. In in return for this shining endorsement, the people of Palmerston North fought back and renamed the Awapuni rubbish tip to Mount Cleese. <laughs> rubbish <laughs> tip! Complete, complete with a sign. <laughs> Nice. Off the back of this news article, uh, which I found on the Today I Learned subreddit, this week on the internet, I learnt about things which are named after people, for good or bad. Lovely. John Cleese got a tip named after him. That's excellent. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I did. I did on the uh, on the subreddit. I saw some people not entirely sure what a rubbish tip was. Um, Uh. So I I think in America uh, they call them like a garbage dump or something like that. Just a place where you go and you throw all the stuff you don't want away, and it piles up into a nice mountain (laughs) or Mount Cleese, as it's known in uh, parts of New Zealand. excellent first of all let's put our english language nerd hats on and learn the correct Mm. term for this do you know what the correct term for this is i didn't for naming things after people. yes yes no i have no idea so the uh, the correct term is an eponym Ooh. in the words of wikipedia an eponym is a person place or thing after whom or which someone or something is or is believed to be named which i think clears everything up perfectly right yeah pretty much great great let's start with one that i think you will appreciate chris shrapnel (laughs) Shrapnel! Okay. Yes. Shrapnel is, in fact, named after a person. Uh, no. Lieutenant Henry Shrapnel. Uh, he was an officer in the British Royal Artillery, and he came up with, frankly, a nasty little invention. 
His goal was to create something more deadly than your simple, boring, run-of-the-mill cannonball. Because that's not deadly enough. No, no. He, he looked at that and he thought, you know what? We can get more death out of that. Let's, let's, yeah, we let's can spice on this that. up a little bit. <laughs> Jeez. He, he sunk a lot of his own fortune into experiments and prototypes and eventually came up with a device which was a hollowed-out cannonball that was then filled with lead shot and a small explosive charge. Oh, my God. The idea being that you would launch the thing over enemy lines and then it would detonate in midair, raining down death and destruction in the form of bullets and fragments of metal on the poor soldiers below. Oh, it's nothing. When, the human race is nothing not inventive when it comes to killing. Exactly. So if there's a if there's a more creative way of killing someone, that we'll we'll come up with it. Oh yeah. The official name he came up with for his invention, continuing our terrible naming by engineers theme, <laughs> was the catchy spherical case shot. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great marketable name. Oh, yeah, totally. Engineers and marketing really don't go together. No, no. So much so that the things were basically always referred to as shrapnel balls. Ah. In in fact, there's a line in the Star Spangled Banner which refers to bombs bursting in the air, and those were shrapnel's cannonballs. Oh, wow. Eventually, the army developed new versions when they realised that the bullets inside were kind of pointless because most of the damage was actually done by the fragments of cannonball that would come flying out of the thing from high altitude. Yeah, it's high speed. Hundreds of years later, these weapons are obviously no longer used, but any fragmenting artillery shards are still known as shrapnel after the lieutenant. Hmm, what's a thing to be known for? Yeah, quite. <laughs> Although from the sound of it, he'd probably be quite proud of that, having come up with the thing in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I think, he, yeah, to be honest, he probably would be, wouldn't he? Keeping with English military officers, let's talk about General James Brudenell, who was the 7th Earl of Cardigan. <laughs> the Earl is known for two things. Well, three if you include his incredible moustache. <laughs> we should. We should, we should. Uh, the invention of the Cardigan, which is named after him, but also for leading the charge of the Light Brigade, in the 1854 Battle of Balaclava. Sorry, so just a second before we carry on. He invented the ca- <laughs> he invented the cardigan. He did, yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> well, we'll, then... we'll get back to that. Let's let's briefly oh, okay. talk about the charge of the light brigade. So this yeah, was... yeah. <laughs> so no, he didn't invent that, but he wasn't led the charge of the light brigade. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> he, it, the, the charge of the light brigade was a disastrous miscommunication, which is again continuing our conversation from last week yeah. about military blunders. Involved over 600 cavalry charging headlong against Russian cannons, basically due to a badly relayed order. Wow. This is, of course, the subject of the famous Tennyson poem. The Charge of the Light Brigade is a really incredible story, which I'll link below in the show notes, and I think I'll save it for another episode because it's it's, mm. it's an amazing story all in all. Anyway, back to Cardigan. So apart from possessing that incredible moustache, and it's it's such an incredible moustache, I'm actually going to send you a photo of this moustache <laughs> because I think you really you need to admire the, the ridiculousness of this. So I'm sending this to you on WhatsApp now. Okay, okay. Now we have five minutes of old man yells at his phone trying to work out. <laughs> Why is it working? I thought WhatsApp would be fine. You love WhatsApp. I do love WhatsApp. Um, unfortunately, I also um, put my phone onto uh, airplane mode. There we go. Uh, okay. That oh, that fun. is an impressive mustache. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> I like the sideburns too. Yeah. That is very it's like, good. It's it's a very manicured mustache mm-hmm. that's really big and bushy, but goes then into like as if it were to be a beard, but there's nothing on his chin, no. and then it just goes into ridiculous like sideburn things on the side. It's it's incredible. It, really is. it is. It is. He obviously tended to 
that very, very well. He did, yes. So looking at that photo, you can understand why he was said to embody the stereotypical arrogant and extravagant aristocrat of his time. Hell yes. After leading the charge of the Light Brigade, he is said to have reached his target, engaged in a little fighting, and then decided he'd done his part rode back to the port where his waiting yacht was moored, despite the fact that the battle was still going on, and had a champagne lunch. God, he's so British. His men are dying. He's oh, managed to survive the charge of the light brigade, yes. and then he goes off to his yacht. And apparently, during the charge, he didn't look back. He just kind of stared forward. So he had no idea the kind of carnage that was happening behind him. Uh, but he carried on. He thought, "Right, well, I've reached my point. I'll stab a couple of soldiers. Cool, that's me done. Time for that champagne lunch." <laughs> My, my work here is done. Yeah. However, despite this kind of behaviour, he was said to have been incredibly generous to the men under his command. And it's such an act of generosity which created the second thing he's known for, the cardigan. During the Russian war, he noticed that his men's uniforms were not providing enough warmth. Russian winters being famously harsh. Mm. To help with this, he personally paid for the design and creation of a knitted woolen waistcoat, which would allow his soldiers to keep warm, but also, crucially, to continue to look smart. <laughs> that is the important point. That's the important part. Uh, this item of clothing became a fashion staple here and also in America, and evolved into the classic cardigan that we know today. Mm. How interesting. It is, it is, and I love the fact that one of the most important things wasn't that it kept people warm, it was that it looks smart whilst keeping people warm. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It doesn't matter about the harsh Russian winter, they've no. got to look good while they're wearing it. You've got it. to keep standards up, absolutely. Yeah, British Army and all. We're going to head over to America now, mm-hmm. to another person I think you'll admire, Chris, Samuel Maverick. Oh, I do like his last name. Yes, yes. So Samuel was a two-time mayor of San Antonio. He graduated from Yale and studied law in Virginia. During his time as mayor, he was one of the people that signed the Texas Declaration of Independence, which is yet another great story for another time. He actually found himself stuck in the Alamo a few days before the famous battle there, but luckily wasn't present as far as I could tell. Despite all of this, his name is associated with stubborn and fiercely independent people, not because of any of the above, (laughs) but because in his later life, he refused to brand his cattle. His, his given reason for this was that he didn't want to hurt his cows. Right. But some have suggested actually he did it more because he didn't really care about being a rancher. The cattle that he had, he'd got after someone had paid a debt to him with cattle instead of cash. Oh. And others still because it uh, suggested he did this because it would allow him to claim any unbranded cattle as being his own. <laughs> Which is a great idea. <laughs> yeah, totally. Regardless of why, his name has gone down in history. Originally, uh, a maverick referred to a cow or a, a cattle that was unbranded, as well as a person who was a bit independent and everything, but it's sort of morphed over time. Mm. I- incredibly, his grandson, Maori Maverick, coined the term gobbledygook in 1944. He used it specifically to describe the meaningless words used by politicians in political statements. But the word has continued and evolved over time, much like his grandfather's name. And both are very present in our uh, vocabulary. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And when when you say gobbledygook, meaning like meaningless words used by politicians, you can perfectly picture the kind of thing they're talking about, can't you? Oh, God, yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly for modern day, bloody hell. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, While we're in Texas, let's talk about nachos. Mm, Nacho, nacho. Nacho, nacho. The story goes as follows. In 1943, a Mexican chef who was working at the Victory Club in Piedras Negras, which I'm 
almost definitely saying wrong, which was a spot popular with American servicemen and their wives, was closing down his restaurant when a large group of soldiers' wives came in looking for dinner. Not wanting to prep a lot more food, he took whatever was available and tried to turn it into enough food to feed them. He took some tortillas, cut them into slices, covered them with cheese and jalapenos, and threw them under a grill. And so popular was the this creation that the soldiers' wives went back to their military base at Fort Duncan, told, told all of their friends, and the Victory Club was inundated with customers. Wow. Just, he must have been a talented chef to be able to throw that together you, and come you, out yeah, with nachos. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the chef who made the dish was uh, named Ignacio Anaya, but his friends called him Nacho. Ah! So this was how he named his dish. Fantastic. Australia is next up in our list mm-hmm. as we talk about macadamia nuts. All right. Now, this is me talking completely out of my comfort zone here because I have a very bad nut allergy. So I have no idea what macadamia nuts taste like. But I'm told by the most reliable source I know, which is my wife, because, of course, she's right about everything, <laughs> uh, that macadamia nuts are indeed the most delicious of all the nuts. I, I, I don't have any personal nuts. Knowledge of this subject, but there we go. Yeah, you probably shouldn't ever have any personal knowledge of the subject. No, no. Dis- disclaimers up front: this is not my speciality subject. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, macadamia nuts had been eaten by the uh, indigenous residents of Australia for thousands of years, but they didn't get their name as we know them until the 19th century. Mm. They were named after a famous chemist and politician, John Macadam. However, he had literally nothing to do with either discovering them or introducing them to the rest of the world. <laughs> How on earth did it come named by him then? It's a great story. <laughs> For the naming, we have to look to his friend, Ferdinand von Müller. Now, von Müller did have a bit to do with their quote discovery, but only after a bit of an accident. Von Müller sent some of the nuts to Brisbane's botanical gardens to be studied by the folks and experts there. The director of the gardens enlisted the help of some students. He gave one student some of the nuts, asked them to crack them open and for germination. So the student did so, looked at the nuts and thought, hmm, they look tasty, and without checking first, ate a bunch. (laughs) (laughs) Dangerous! Declaring them to be delicious. (laughs) Uh, The director was at least a little more sensible and waited for a few days to see if the student killed over and died. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, lucky student. When the student didn't die, the director also tried some and declared them also to be the most delicious nuts he'd ever eaten. Mm. That's what she said. <laughs> um, when, when news of this reached Von Mueller, he named the nuts macadamia nuts after his friend. Wow. Yeah. That's just very just selfless. purely out of friendship. Yeah. <laughs> they could have been Von Mueller nuts, I suppose, or <laughs> Ferdinand nuts. I guess, it, I guess it doesn't quite roll with the tongue the same way, but no, yeah, it no. could have been. We would never have known. <laughs> John Macadam. Nothing to do with macadamia nuts, but they're named after him, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> Good work, John. Now, this next one is two stories in one, uh, and it gets a bit fruity. <laughs> let's let's start with the Marquise de Sade, Ooh. a French aristocrat, philosopher, politician, and writer of porn. <laughs> He was famous for his own very uh, liberal views of sexuality, shall we say. Mm. He's French. Well, yes, a French aristocrat as well of the time. Yeah, indeed. He he wrote many different types of stories, plays, uh, short stories, that kind of thing. But his erotic works are what he's most well known for. Some of these he wrote under his own name. Some of the more risque ones he wrote anonymously and declared that they were nothing to do with him. But they were very obviously to do with him. (laughs) They most often contained graphic sexual fantasy scenes often depicting violence, mostly against women and children, criminality, suffering, and blasphemy. Jeez. Blasphemy being the one that people were most upset about, I'm sure. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It would be, wouldn't it? 
In his later life, he became infamous for his many, many sexual crimes and abuse of young men, women, and unfortunately children once again. He spent 32 years of his life in jail or in insane asylums. His Wikipedia page is quite the read. It points out um, that when he died at the age of 70, he started taking part in a uh, sexual relationship with a 14-year-old girl. Oh my God. uh, Which he was still in at the point where he died. Uh, He's either 70 or 60, I can't remember which now, I think thinking about it but yeah that was that was his last exploit so uh, Charming quite, fellow. quite the gent yeah. uh, but ultimately he is where we get the words sadist and sadism from oh. because he was the marquis de sade right fast forward a hundred years and we go to the austrian writer and journalist chevalier leopold von sascha massock and why are these guys always writers because <laughs> nothing else to do with their time well yeah they've got to get their inspiration from somewhere i suppose yeah chevalier signed a contract with his wife in 1869 the contract stated that he would be her absolute slave for six months as long as she wore furs whenever possible (laughs) quite a lot has been written about this contract and it rather seems like he was a lot more into it than she was right Uh, but being in of the time she wasn't really in a position to say anything against it so yes not great Uh, this experience led him to write the 1870 novel venus in furs which is a story about a man being degraded by his dominatrix. <laughs> the the Austrian psychiatrist Richard Freyar von Kraft Ebbing, which I'm definitely butchering that name somewhere along the way, <laughs> he coined the term masochism to describe someone who gained sexual gratification from the inflicting or receiving of physical pain or humiliation. Again, from part of his surname, which was Sasha Masoch. Masochism comes from there. Many years later, Sigmund Freud wrote that masochists also have an impulse for sadism and combined these two things to create the word sadomasochism. Blimey. That's a combination of two very interesting gentlemen's names put together. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Obviously aristocrats. Obviously, yes. Well-to-do folk. (laughs) Always always let's finish on a little lighter note kind of as we talk about sandwiches <laughs> kind of kind of well yeah unfortunately again this is this is an interesting gentleman uh, so sandwiches the wall street journal once described as britain's biggest contribution to world gastronomy <laughs> it's a bit harsh <laughs> this story comes from a great article on cracked which is called famous things that were named after awful people <laughs> I think it's well known that the sandwich is named after the Earl of Sandwich. But what I didn't know was how much of an arse he was. <laughs> the The story for its creation goes that he had his chef prepare the first ever sandwich as a way of being able to eat beef without getting his fingers dirty whilst he was playing cards and gambling. Oh. Which, again, going back to previous things, is what a lot of people of his, of his uh, social status did in those days. Just sit Indeed. around playing cards, gambling huge amounts of money. Yeah, as we've had it last week. Yeah, exactly, yes. Uh, he also had quite an impressive list of government jobs and titles. Including in that list is the fact that he was the commander-in-chief of the Navy during the American Revolutionary War. He said of his enemy at the start of the war, Americans are raw, undisciplined, and cowardly. And yeah, that, that went well for him. <laughs> yeah, they, they went on to show him, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they, they certainly did. Uh, he, <laughs> he was ultimately blamed for our defeat in that war. After his death, it was said that his epitaph should read, Seldom has any man held so many officers and accomplished so little. <laughs> 
He was also famous during his life for having a well-known mistress, Martha Ray, who bore him nine children. Wow. This is just, just his mistress, not his wife. Jeez. He started his relationship with her when she was 17, and to make it easier to sneak away, he locked his wife in a castle and told everyone that she was mad, uh, <laughs> preventing her from receiving Far any out. guests. <laughs> Oh, my God. As you say, a bit of an asshole. Yes. After he grew bored of his mistress... And the nine children. And, and the nine children. He introduced her to a friend of his from the army. Uh, his friend, James Hackman, was a little bit unstable, probably known by the Earl. Uh, he became obsessed with Martha, and one day she was at the opera. Hackman stormed in, approached her, pulled out a gun, and shot her dead. Oh, my God. Which is, which is very nice, yes. The, many years before this, he is said to have said to one of his political rivals, you'll either die by the gallows or the pox. To which his, re- his rival replied, well, that depends if I embrace your principles or your mistress. <laughs> <laughs> which is an incredible put down. Yes, it is. <laughs> So yeah, there we go. Uh, as it said, famous things named after some awful people. <laughs> mm, I actually used to live in Sandwich. Oh really? Um, and I, I knew about the Earl of Sandwich, um, but I didn't know how awful he was. Yeah. And obviously the fact that he created, the, you know, was the creator of the, of the venerable Sandwich itself. Quite famous down the road from the town, there was well, there used to be a sign, not anymore, but um, there's a town called Ham down the road. <laughs> That's amazing. And so there'll be a a signpost which had ham and then sandwich underneath, so saying ham sandwich. And this signpost would be regularly stolen because it said ham sandwich. And then eventually the the local council decided got bored of this being stolen the whole time, so they changed it around. I think they called it sandwich ham. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it can't be stolen anymore. But yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's a little bit of local trivia. That's amazing. Um, Down the road from where I live is the um, town of Gotham or Gotham, as it's actually pronounced, um, which is what inspired Gotham City from Batman. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, because it was famous for where a bunch of uh, crazy people lived. It's a bit of a long and complicated story, but the mad people of Gotham was what it was was known as. So that's why um, when they were looking for a city to, to to contain idiots, but to be like a an amalgamation of New York or whatever. They, they went with Gotham. That's where the name came from. And its its sign is stolen on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Gotham is <laughs> taken by uh, Batman fans. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a whole load more of these, as you can imagine. So this is again yeah, a yeah. subject we could we could come back to multiple times. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I can't get a cardigan surviving the bloody Charge of the Light Brigade, but not you know not being famous for that, but being famous for setting up uh, the cardigan. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I think I think I might have to do Charge of the Light Brigade next week because I it think is. Think you will. It is such an incredible story. So many cock-ups. Yeah. Okay. Is that, a, is that as done for this week? I think so. Fantastic. Right. Well, thank you very much for downloading this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please do leave us a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, we have got quite a few building up now, but we can always do with more. It's just a way for the algorithm to, to realize that people are listening and enjoying our podcast and will maybe suggest it to some other people. If you could also maybe tell a friend or two, that would be incredible. Uh, if you have been at all affected by anything you've heard today and you want to talk to us about it, please send us an email or reach out to us on social media. Uh, if you go to weloveintheinternet.co.uk, you'll find links for our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all that kind of jazz, or just our regular email address if you want to send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, so until next time, thank you very much and goodbye. Cheers, bye! <laughs>